Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so happy to welcome Zazie Todd to the show. She is a Ph.D., in psychology and also has special degrees in feline behavior. But most importantly, she is a scientist who explains other scientists to us in many books and in many articles and on a wonderful blog that she has, but particularly her two books, WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, and Purr, The Science of Making Your Cat Happy. And what I love about your work, Zazie, and thank you so much for being here, is that you have gathered together in such an interesting way and woven together the conclusions and work and research from scientists around the world who've studied animal behavior and come to conclusions, all of which you weave together into bigger conclusions. And I don't know if that's what you set out to do, but it really is, it is a tapestry or a quilt that you have created. And I think it's really of value to all of us who just hear advice and information anecdotally instead of understanding that it comes from good, hard, real science. And that's the stuff that we should pay attention to and follow. So thank you for all the hard work you've done for so many years gathering it all together. Thank you. I'm really driven by wanting to help people understand their cats better. And I think the science is so important because even though there's still a lot that we don't really understand about cats, we know a lot more than we used to. And so much of it is so relevant to our everyday lives with cats. And so I really wanted to pull all of that together into ways that people can find things to do and that they understand why they should do it. Because I think it really makes a difference when you understand why something is being recommended for your cat. It makes you do a better job of it and it makes you more keen on doing it because you you understand what the purpose of it is instead of it's just something that people tell you to do. <laughs> right. You're like, ah, well, what does she know? I've had cats my whole life. And the same thing goes for dogs. I mean, even more so because when you wrote WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, a lot of dog owners think they already know how to make their dog happy. They think they've got it all figured out, unlike cat owners who know that the mystery is inside an enigma and is a Russian doll, right? So with dogs, it's not dissimilar in that people have been basing their choices and decisions in how to interact with and offer a life to their dogs based on movies they've seen, books they've read, childhood pets they had, maybe something they read tangentially on the internet. 
So I think both those books come come from a place that I I had not actually been aware of, and it's what I want to talk about today: the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, the, the Declaration on Consciousness, which was originally, from what I read in your books, the United Kingdom guidelines for farm animals, the five freedoms. And that's where the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness came from. Now, in the United States, we only have some some crazy animal welfare people saying, gosh, what a horrible life for those pigs, chickens, ducks, turkeys, cows, what have you, fill in the blanks. But we don't have any declaration or guidelines for farmers or others on how to do it. Is this something that, that the British have always done way ahead of the Americans? I think the British like to think of themselves as a nation of animal lovers, and that's one of the stereotypes that we have about Brits. But, of course, we're not perfect. You can tell I'm British from my accent. We're not perfect (laughs) in many ways. But what happens with um, the Five Freedoms is actually they were developed by a group called the Farm Animal Welfare Council in the UK at a time when agriculture was becoming increasingly industrialized. And so there was a lot of concern amongst the general public about the kinds of conditions in which farm animals were being kept and whether they were good for them, you know, too many animals in a barn, for example, something like that. And so the Farm Animal Welfare Council came up with these five freedoms to provide guidance about how to care for farm animals. But what turns out to be the case is they're relevant to all animals. And then as science has developed, we had the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness in 2012. And that was a group of prominent scientists who'd done a lot of research on non-human animals, different kinds of animals. And they said, basically, they have the capacity to be conscious. They're sentient. So they can feel things that are happening in the world. They, They know things. They have these experiences. So they experience things in their environment as positive or negative. So this then builds on what we already knew from the five freedoms. And it really helps us think that all of the animals in our care, we really have to think about their welfare. Whereas I think if you go back in the past, people used to think that animals didn't have emotions. And I think cat and dog lovers have probably always felt that to some extent, at least their animals like some things, they dislike other things. Um, But this is scientists saying that all kinds of animals, they, they like some things, they dislike other things, they're aware of what's going on. And so it's really important for us to take account of that when we think about how we're caring for our pets, and this includes our dogs and cats. Well, it must shock the British, including you, to find that in America these ideas are still not widely adopted about whether they're cage-free hens or confinement uh, breeding pens for sows. Most Americans don't think about it, don't want to think about it. It is not in our culture to think about it. So those standing up and trying to call out issues of animal welfare, not animal rights, animal welfare, just decency day to day, are considered kind of, I don't know, hippies is not the right word, but oh, come on, don't be like that. This is just the way the world is. If you want to have animals to eat, then it's just, it is an industry. So the idea of the the non-industrialization of raising farm animals did filter down to how people felt about pets and dogs lived in backyards for a long, long time. And in the United States, many of them still live on a chain all the time. 
24 hours a day. They live on a chain. Sometimes they have shelter. Sometimes they don't. So it's, it's enlightening to me. And I think important for us, because in America, I think people like to think that they're animal lovers, but we aren't expressing it quite the same way as the British. It's enlightening to find out that the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness has been around for a very long time, and the ideas behind it for a decade before that, while the research was being done. Well, in America, we just blithely were smashing and squashing as many animals into a space as we could to make as much meat or eggs or whatever thing we were we needed at the time. And whatever the whatever the harm was to the animals was really not factored in. We there are some companies that try to utilize humane standards of raising food, but they're outliers. So in England does everyone up to a point understand these guidelines and these ideas about animals? Well, I wish I could say yes. I mean, of course, um, one of the things about science is that it takes a long time to filter through to the general public. Um, but I think there is perhaps a greater awareness because there are some specific charities that look at what people know about it and try to teach people about the five freedoms for, for pets. And so there's a group that every year does a survey. It's called the Poor Report, and it tells you how many cat and dog owners know about these five welfare needs that, that pets wow. have. And I think that's very helpful. But the thing is, nobody knows all of them. Everybody has more that they can do. Um, and it does just take a long time for people to understand what should happen? And also, I mean, you think about the, the, this declaration on consciousness, actually it has really big implications in terms of how we think about animals, how we use animals, and it's complicated. Yes. So I think it's fair yeah. enough that, that no one is doing a perfect job of, of caring for pets because there's still so much to learn. But the good news is, I think, that people are increasingly aware that they do need to do things to give their pets positive experiences. And this is one of the things that motivated me to write Wag and Purr was to help people understand what they can do to make their dog and their cat happy. And I think whichever country you're looking at, and, and definitely in the U.S., there are a lot of real animal lovers who of really course. care for their dog and cat. And things have changed such a lot and improved such a lot already. And people are much more aware, for example, of the need to provide enrichment. And one of the things that's happened is an update really to the five freedoms, which is called the five domains. And the main change in this is the idea that animals need to have the chance to experience positive emotions. And this wow. applies so well to our cats and dogs because I think everyone wants a happy dog or a happy cat. Um, and the things that we do to do that includes providing enrichment. So it might be taking your dog for a walk, playing with your dog, playing with your cat, giving them opportunities to use their nose, all of these things are things that are a lot of fun for us to do with our pets, and that's really great because I think that encourages people to do more of them now that people understand that, that pets have the need for these positive experiences. I think it really is important, and I think it's why your books make it, – it's building blocks. You show the building blocks of what the scientists were looking at, what conclusions they drew, what the next group of scientists looked at. You In, in Purr, you talk about – a researcher named Panksepps, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, who did research on tickling rats. And in your book, you say that a lot of his work was 
the background or the foundation of the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness. Can you talk a little bit about his research on tickling rats? Because I think sometimes if we step outside our own dogs and cats or even the animals being raised for food, all of which we either feel in one case too close to and the other case too far away from, the idea of tickling rats and what he learned is a novel enough idea that people might be perhaps really influenced by, by what you're going to explain. Well, especially because I think a lot of people don't particularly like rats. Exactly. Unless they're the kind of person <laughs> who has a pet rat. If you have a pet rat, then you understand that actually these are really clever creatures. They are. Um, but most people don't like them and think of them as vermin. And, of course, there are many circumstances in which we don't want them in our lives. Um, yeah, so Yak Pankzep was a neuroscientist, and he did some incredibly important research, which really was the foundation behind the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness. And I think perhaps one of the things he's most famous for is having learned that rats like to be tickled. <laughs> and um, they actually will make little noises um, that show that they like to be tickled. So um, that's actually a really nice thing to think that, I mean, rats can have positive yes. experiences. That's, yes. that's one of the things that tells us, even rats. Exactly. Um, so... It's very you know, touching. It's something that people it's, it, think of. <laughs> it, uh, that's why I think it's so meaningful because, yes, most people think, ew, ew, rats, they're creepy. And I know a couple of people who had rats as pets and consider them so bright, so receptive, so responsive, so affectionate, so funny. I've always loved Templeton Rat from Charlotte's Web. I don't know if that's as much a classic in England as it is in the U.S. But the idea that this researcher yeah. noticed this that he was aware enough to notice that something really positive was happening for basically a lab rat, as we call them, right? A, a, a victim of, yeah. of lab research, and yet he found the, this is the wrong word, of course, the exactly wrong word, he found the humanity in that animal having a positive experience and a positive interaction with him. And I, I just think it's wonderful to know that work on what animals are feeling, what they're thinking, how we're interacting with them has been going on a long time and we all can learn from it. We all think, oh, I'm, I give my dog a nice life. I mean, he goes on two walks a day. Sure, I'm out of the house eight or nine or ten hours, but he's used to it. I think we need to think differently. Not everyone can afford pet sitters or dog walkers or, or cat visitors, but we can still do more and do better you know, devote more of our time when we do come home, not just come home and immediately turn on our computer, for example, or text or do something that doesn't involve the animal who deserves our undivided un, uh, attention and perhaps a bit of tickling, depending on how your dog or cat or if you have a pet rat feels about that. Sazzy, you really have yeah. done such a wonderful job for all of us with, with both your books, Purr and Wag. And I think even people that may not have a dog or a cat right now, there's so much to be learned from them about the animal kingdom. And it is a kingdom. We are not the kings of them. And you just bring so much joy and love and positivity to the work that you've done and the work that many other scientists have done. So thank you for that. And I don't know if there's any last thing you want to say, but... The books say so much for you, and I, I hope more people will learn about them and, and read them. 
Thank you so much, and I hope the books will help people to have more fun with their pet as well as understand their pet better. So there are lots of tips in there, and I really hope it will make a difference to people. I think it will. I think it goes round and round. Thank you again to Zazie Todd. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.